John 17. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me, I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Love and Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity we have. We thank you for your word and what we get to read here, how rich 
it is, how true it is. And Lord, we pray we leave here this evening understanding more of who Jesus is, understanding more of what Jesus has done, and understanding how good you are to us. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Brilliant. A couple of weeks ago, I don't know if you were here, Rod was going through the series of Revelations, Revelation, and he said that the last two chapters were like a mega mix of themes running through the book. All the themes were like a mega mix coming in the last two chapters. Rod is from London, that's his background. I'll give you one from mine. These chapters are like a good tweed. There are so many strands running through, painting this wonderful picture. There's so many themes in here. I spoke to a couple of people this week telling them I was doing John 17. And they said this is their favorite chapter. There is just so much going on here. For those of you who weren't here, the last two sermons we've been doing a series in John 17. And the first five verses, verses 1 to 5, are Jesus praying for himself. Then last week we had Davi take us through 6 to 19, which was Jesus praying for his disciples that were with him there. And then tonight, verses 20 to 26, we have Jesus praying for all believers. It's almost, if you imagine, it's been done at the top of this mountain. Jesus is standing there and he's praying. And as he prays the first part of it, he prays for himself. And then he kind of looks up slightly, sees his disciples, and he prays for them next. And then finally, in what we have tonight, he lifts up his head over the whole mountain, over all the future believers who would believe, and he prays for them. He prays for us all the millions of people who would believe in Jesus through the words of these disciples. Now to understand why this passage is so unique, why it's so good, you have to understand two different things that are just incredible about this. Sorry, my glasses are really annoying me. Right, so you have to understand two different things that are going on in this passage. We are listening to Jesus, the Son of God, praying to God the Father. It's like we're listening with our ear against the door, like a glass up against a wall, as if we should kind of feel a bit uneasy, take our shoes off as we stand on holy ground. But it's not divine eavesdropping. Jesus wants us to hear what he is saying here. And the other thing that's important with these words is this is the Thursday night. This is the night before Jesus dies. The night before he goes to the cross. And these are his final words of teaching, so they must be important. He leaves with these words. After this, he opens the door, heads out, and goes to a Roman cross. And it's not a surprise to him. He's been waiting for it and been talking about it the last five chapters of John. So now we have that. Now you have that hanging in your head. Let's see what he says. My first point tonight is Jesus prays that we will be united. The verses need some unpacking. They're incredible, incredible truths, but they're so tightly woven together. So follow through with me. This comes off the back of what he's just prayed for the disciples. And he starts with verse 20. And I'll read the first two verses just now. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, 
they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So what he says is, I don't just ask for the disciples who he's just been praying for. I, believe, I ask for those who believe in me through their words. That all followers of Jesus would be united to Jesus. And then, he wants believers to be so close, it's like Jesus and the Father in the Godhead. That's how close he wants them to be. And then the final step is, Jesus, the Father, disciples, all believers, all be united. It's very simple, really. just takes a lot to understand. And then again, he does it in verse 22. He does something very similar. Follow again. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. Now it's a Sunday night, I know we're all getting pretty tired, so there's a lot of brain power, so I'll try and summarize very quickly for us. All believers are to be united to Jesus and God, and therefore united to one another. The teaching goes down like this. If you have blocks, you have God, Jesus, disciples, us. And all of them are to be united with the purpose that the world would know. Jesus prays that we today would be united to God and the Father, Jesus and the Father, through the disciples' words. Let me say it again. The disciples knew Jesus in person. They were there. They saw his teachings and his death. We know Jesus and God the Father through the teachings of these disciples. That's what Davi looked at last week. But tonight's step is that we come into the fold. We are able to be united with them. So we are united to God, the Godhead, and each other. That's what it's all about. We are united to Jesus and God. So this comes under my first point. There's two kind of subheadings. You have us united to God and us and the Godhead, and us united to all believers. Through believing in the death and resurrection of Jesus, we are united to him. The God who created the universe, the God who had this sacrificial system just because of sin, to show the seriousness of sin before all these people. For the Old Testament people, they couldn't get anywhere near God without a mediator. This holy, holy God, this same God we are united to because of Jesus. We're in total separation, utterly estranged to being totally united to God. And this is all through Jesus. Jesus who this Thursday night prayed for you and he prayed for me. This Jesus who took the punishment that we deserve. The Jesus who stepped down from heaven. The Jesus who has risen and ascended to. We are united to. It's one of these things that's just hard to even understand. But we are united to and know And then the second part is that we are united to one another here tonight. Come down the block, you have God, Jesus, disciples, and then all believers. We are united to one another. 
As a church, we are not united to because of our political beliefs. As a church, we're not even united in our opinion of God. We are not united in the world's view of love, though that's a byproduct of what we have. We are not together because of social economic status, because of our taste in music, our lifestyle, or even by our doctrines. At the core, what unites us all together is the death of Jesus, the life of Jesus, told through the apostles' teaching. And it's not what we feel, it's not what we want, it's what we read, it's what we stand on, is the apostles' teaching. That is how we know of God. As Christians, we don't look back and just do what our parents did, what our grandparents did. We can go right to the source 2,000 years ago to hear about the life and death of Jesus. We rely on nobody else but Jesus and his teaching. Living out what Jesus prayed, that's what we are doing. We're united together. If you just take a moment, you won't probably look up, but if you did want to look up, you can look around and see what Jesus is praying for. Tonight here is us being united through Jesus. We're gathered together and believing in him. This, here tonight, is the answered prayer of 2,000 years ago. This is fulfillment right here. This is what Jesus prayed for. A long answered prayer and a commitment to his mission. And as you carry on through the verses, you think, what is the point of this unity? What is the point of this church, this gathering? Why would Jesus pray this prayer 2,000 years ago? And if you follow with me, verse 21. That they may all be one, that's all of us, just as you, the Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And then carry on down further. Verse 23, halfway through it. That we may become perfectly one, so that the world may know you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. This unity shows the world Jesus. That's what he's saying. This unity shows the world God's love. The church's unity should be so tangible, it causes the world to believe. Me loving you, you loving one another, you guys loving me, tells the world that God loves us. The first time I read this, I kind of thought, I understand what you're saying, but how does that actually work out? How does me following the disciples' teaching, loving the disciples' teaching, show God's love? How does me showing loving the church, how does the church loving one another tell anyone about who Jesus is, about who God is? But then I kind of thought on further and think about it. Think of the church. If you think in Edinburgh, there is nowhere where you'll have people from all different backgrounds gathering together. All different ages and stages in life. People normally stick by their own nationality when they come from different cultures. I come from an island and we stick to islanders, I tell you that. People normally stick by people their own age, who they have things in common with, who they like. Not the church. The church is different. We are based around one thing, and that's Jesus Christ. 
We are based around one thing, and that's Jesus Christ. And why is this? Why is the church then different because of this? Why should it be different? Because it's where the successful rub shoulders with the down and out. The rich, the poor, the funny, the sad, those mourning, those rejoicing, old and young, are brothers and sisters because of Jesus. Non-Christians should look on the church and say, wow, isn't that different? Isn't that amazing? So the question has to be, are we like that? Do we show a love in such a way to one another that the world sees something different? Not just behind these four walls, but out there. Do we show anything different? And you could finish here and say, that's great, we can just be a holy huddle. Everyone will come in and see that God and Jesus love us. That's not what it's about. It's not evangelism by unity. It's also through speech. Verse 18 is where the disciples are sent out in the, prayer, the part of the prayer beforehand. And we are to be sent out just like them. We go out with the exact same message that they proclaim. Because to sum it up, you have, we are to love those who love Jesus and then tell those who don't know him. We are to love those who love Jesus and tell those who don't know him. That is our evangelism strategy. And then Jesus moves on in verse 24. My second point, Jesus prays that we will be with him and see his glory. Jesus prays that we make it to glory and we make it to the end. Because the unity sounds great, but there's got to be something more. Just take a moment. Think of life. Think of all that is promised in this world, all the adverts that we see, all the things that we have as goals that promise so much and always let us down. What hope have I got that Jesus' prayer of unity will last if everything else in life seems to fall apart? It promises so much but never quite lives up to it and sometimes completely falls apart. If you're a Scottish football fan, you'll know this only all too well. If you're a student, you'll know it when you have four months of holiday coming up, you think, I can't wait, and three days in, you're bored stiff. But if we get real, then there's other things like retirement. People are almost lost without their job. They get bored eventually. Or our health. We think we're going to last forever. We think everything is going well until we get the phone call out of the blue from the doctor. The phone call we didn't expect, or the phone call that we did expect but just didn't want. We think of marriage. Expectations from it in the movies and in reality it's very different to what we think. And devastatingly sometimes they don't even last either. Nothing seems to be foolproof. I mean if marriages don't always last, the thing that is almost idolized by people in life, the thing that people look for, that life partner, if they don't always last, what hope have we got? How do we know if we're united to Jesus, we will be united to him forever? Till the very end. What assurance or hope have we got? And then we have here, verse 24. He prays that we would see his glory. Read with me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am 
to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory. And Jesus isn't praying this prayer of, God, let them see me and how splendid I am. It's not a boastful prayer that he's praying. It doesn't go along with what he's been praying beforehand. All the way through this chapter, all the way since chapter 13, he's been praying that his followers make it to the end. That we will see Jesus in his glory. Sam read from his, for his one Peter, which talks all about that, the first chapter. It talks about how we will make it to glory, the security in our salvation. That we, me, you, will see Jesus full, unveiled glory. Of that before the world began. So you have verse 20 to 23 that talk all about this unity now, being united to God. And then he adds here that we continue to be united until we see him again. That we keep knowing God and know him fully. Jesus prays that we will know him fully. Curtain lifted, veil raised, clear as day, the Son of God, risen Lord Jesus Christ, seated at the right hand of God in his full glory. United to him now and united to him forever. Knowing true relationship with God. Think about it. Curtain raised, veil lifted, son of God, seated at God's right hand. He prays that we would see that. If the first point is that we are united through the gospel message, through what Jesus has done, verse 24 is almost the purpose of the gospel. It's almost the whole point that we see Jesus in his glory at the end. That we know him now and that we know him forever. I want to make a quick point about this glory. John uses glory in so many different ways throughout his book. Well, a few different ways. We've been given the message in verse 22 of his glory that comes through the cross where Jesus says that he will be glorified. And the purpose is so that we can see his glory. The glory of the cross grants us the glory of heaven. The cross, which was the worst thing to ever happen in history, the biggest injustice this world has ever seen. Jesus stood in agony and was ridiculed. And that was the victory over death and separation that gives us life and lets us know God. The cross is what makes this glory possible. It's what everything hangs on. The disciples teaching the unity with God and the future glory of all believers. The cross is where Jesus was glorified and it's where we, how we are glorified. The cross changed history. Look at the verses. It says here, it harks back to the glory that he had before the creation of the world and it means that we can see that glory at the end. The cross stands in between that. Jesus prays that we would know him in all his splendor, know him in all his majesty, that throughout this life we will be kept in him, united to him. And what an assurance that is for us. 
You have to take a moment to speak to anyone who doesn't believe what the Bible says, doesn't believe in God, or doesn't believe in what Jesus says, and say that if you don't know Jesus now, if you don't know Jesus now, you won't know him in his glory. You won't know God in his glory. You might be okay with that. You might have never thought about it before. You might be here for the first time, and it's the first time you've ever heard it. You might have been here a hundred times, and you've heard it all, and you still don't believe it. But let me tell you, as the Christian is united to God, knows God fully, and will know Jesus in his glory. If you don't know Jesus now, you won't know him forever. I'm not saying this to try and say, keep your arms length and keep you away. I'm not trying to create a us and you mentality. But I'm telling you this because I want you to know God. I want you to know this Jesus who made it possible. Because Christians don't follow as a hobby or a need to please God. Christians follow because it gives real hope. It gives real joy. It gives real purpose to life. It doesn't make life any easier. Scotland still lose football games. That still happens. Marriages never or don't always get easier. Families fight and people get sick. But when it all falls apart, there is something to cling on to. There is something to hope in, and it's that Jesus lets us know God. And knowing him now means we can know him in his full, unveiled glory. So if you don't call yourself a Christian here tonight, think about that. Think about eternity because it hangs in the balance. And the reason I tell you this is because I want you to know that. And I want it to change. Not for my sake, but for yours. So Jesus prays that we will be united. Jesus prays that we will see him in his glory. And again, we look around this room We can't see this now, but we can see the empty chairs of people who aren't here, who right now are in glory because they believe in Jesus, believed in Jesus. They had their faith in Jesus and right now are seeing Jesus in his glory. Glory of that before the world began. And because we've seen the first part of this prayer being true here tonight, this answered prayer, we can hold on to the hope that the second part is true too. That even though it is difficult, even though sometimes it feels like we're not going to make it, even though sometimes it feels like we have lost our faith, we have to stand in the confidence that Jesus prays that those who are united to him will be reunited to him. This is our confidence and our assurance as Christians. My final point is that Jesus keeps praying that people will come to know him. Read with me verses 25 and 26. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. 
Just follow through with me the verse again. It says, Even though the world does not know you, I know you. Jesus knows God. And these know that you have sent me. That's the disciples he's talking about. Then the first half of 26, it says, I made known to them your name. And that's talking about the disciples. And then he moves on to talking about the rest, all believers. And I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. I have made known your name and I will continue to make known your name. That's what Jesus says. That's what he prays. He said Jesus will be praying more people to come to know him. Jesus is praying now to the Father for more people to come and know him. Even still today that Jesus will continue to work even still today. That he's praying that people will come to know him. And in verse 26, that the love with which you love me may be in them, and I in them. So this is how it's going to happen, that the love of God, the love God has for Jesus is in us, and that Jesus is in us, carrying out his work. So keep praying that Jesus would move in your spouse, in your friend, in the family member, that you have. Keep praying that Jesus would move. And the boost to do this is the wonderful knowledge we've seen before of what it means to be a Christian. How good it is to be united to God now. How good it would be, it will be to be united to God in the end. This should make us want to tell people unity with God, glory with Jesus. That's the motivation. And our hope is that Jesus prays and says that he is still working that he's still moving. And again, one last time, this is it. Look around you today. Look around and see the church. The prayer of 2,000 years ago answered. Jesus worked in our lives and continues to work through our lives. Do you ever get disheartened with telling people about Jesus? maybe after years of praying for them, maybe after invites, maybe last month you invited them to the Passion for Life weekend and there were so many no's that it hurt. This should encourage us. We might be at the end of our tether, but Jesus isn't. This has to give us confidence as we go out. Our prayers might feel weak and feeble. Our invites might feel weak and feeble, but we know that he has not finished working. Coming back to the mountaintop analogy, he's standing there and Jesus is praying for all believers. It's almost as if, as he's doing this, people are being added day by day, being added to the flock. He's praying that more and more would come. And with that, Jesus finishes his teaching. He finishes what he's prayed. We've had from 13 onwards to now a whole teaching section with 17 being the prayer. There's nothing more to be said. And just scan forward, flick forward one page to see what happens next. Verse 18, uh, chap- verse, chapter 18, verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples. Across the brook of Kidron, there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. And you can see from the heading, it's where he's betrayed and it's where he's arrested. He finishes 
the prayer for us. He opens the door and makes a lonely walk to the cross. The very next thing to take place was Jesus' arrest, his trial, his torture, and his death. The very next thing after he spoke this prayer was to lead him to the cross. The night before he died, he prayed for you and he prayed for me. Moments before he was arrested, he prayed that we would believe in him through what the disciples taught. That we would be united to God and to each other. He cared about me and he cared about you on his final night. He cared that we would be a church that loves Jesus, that loves God and that loves one another that we as a church would see his glory and that we would continue to make him, he would continue to make himself known to us and through us. And then he went to the cross. He thought not of himself, but he thought of us. What a saviour we serve. On his final night, he prayed for you and he prayed for me before he went to the brutal death on a cross. I'm just going to finish with the words we've already sung this evening. For my life he bled and died, Christ will hold me fast. Justice has been satisfied, he will hold me fast. Raised with him to endless life, he will hold me fast. Till our faith is turned to sight when he comes at last. Let's pray on those words. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for Jesus' prayer. We thank you for all that Jesus has done. Lord, we thank you for the cross and what that means for us. We pray as a church we would understand this. We pray that we would live out the truth of your words and learn to love them. We pray this in your name. Amen.